Long, way outside for the three. He's got it. He's got it. It's good. Season for Texas, they finished 34 and 0. The number one ranked team from beginning to end, winning their first NCAA championship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Texas 24 podcast on the Dave Campbell's Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me is a fatigued and clearly wary Ishmael Johnson. I can see it on his face. Ish, are you okay? You are in a dark room. You don't want any light on you. Just how are yep. you doing? It, it's 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 a hibernation mode right now, basically. Uh, after four days of being inside AT and T, watching three games a day for high school state. Um, yeah, it's 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 good though. You know, after it's like uh, I don't know. It's like winning. It's, I'm assuming this is how people feel after winning a championship. You just kind of let let everything just rest, and you're just like, it's done. We did it. We did it, guys. So. Is that how you feel? You feel like you won a championship? Oh, I feel like I won the Super Bowl, man. I feel like it's all, I don't got to worry about anything for a couple months. We're good to go. We just we just sit back and bask. And oh, just... you, you know that feeling when it's like, whatever you would like, uh, again, when you were in school, right? And you were like, oh, and you get finished with those finals. Yes. And you're finally on vacation. And you're like, oh, I don't got to get up to class. I don't got nothing to study for. I don't, it's that exact feeling where you wake up and you're like, I got nothing. This is great. <laughs> yeah, no, that feeling was was unmatched. That I kind of missed school just for that feeling, honestly, right, of just right. finishing everything and being like the just relief off yes. your shoulders all at once. Because yep. then once you get in like the real world, then it just like never really stops. Uh, <laughs> right. You're just like, oh, now part. we got now we got this coming up. Now we got this coming up. But yeah, I know. It's like at least for a little bit. For a little bit, I get that feeling. Exactly. So uh, well, now you can focus on basketball and mm-hmm. um, conference play. We've talked about this on the podcast a lot. Um, conference play is coming up in January. Some, I think the SEC might start before that at the end of December. Um, the non-conference season has been interesting. It's been, it had some highlight games, but also you have those games where you don't really care about where it's like the number five team in the country playing the number 400 team in the country. And you're like, okay, <laughs> don't really need to watch that. Conference play, it should be different for the most part, obviously, especially with Texas teams we're covering where like the Big 12 has like, you know, however many Texas teams and uh, the American has a couple. So Conference USA, obviously, as well. And the WAC now. So we'll have plenty to talk about throughout the conference season. But we wanted to get this out to y'all before uh, Christmas and before the holidays, just so y'all had something maybe for y'all's drive home or um, drive back um, to wherever y'all stay. So Ish, the big game for me of this week, and I think uh, you agree, is was Baylor and Michigan women. Yeah. Um, Baylor ends up losing to Michigan 74 to 68. Uh, we both watched this after the fact. You were obviously had your hands full, and I had LSU stuff as well. We watched this game, and we left this. I, okay, I'll speak for myself first. Hmm. I left this game with plenty of concerns. Baylor was the number what five team in the country, I believe. Yes. And Michigan was number 13 or 11, something like that. Mm-hmm. So a game between two very good teams. And so it's not a, you know, it's not a heartbreaking, like shocking loss, but it is a loss where they did. We did see a lot of things from this Baylor team that might concern us moving forward. It wasn't overtime as well. Um, Baylor had chances to win it um, in regulation and also tie the game at the end of, of overtime, but they weren't able to do so. So, what is your main takeaway? What was the main thing you said to yourself leaving uh, after watching that game? Uh, for me, it was at this point. Well, one thing at this point, it's just you have to acknowledge that the depth is what it is, right? I mean, they play what seven players, um, and that's just going to be a thing that I think they just have to deal with. And to the point where I'm, we can. I don't know how long we can mention it. Right. Because like, you know, they're going to, it's basically like this team is eight players deep. Right. If that maybe seven, seven. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Jordan Lewis played the entire game. Melissa Smith, Sarah Andrews basically played the entire game. Four of the five starters basically played the entire game. Played over 40 minutes. Right. And so that's just, I think that's just like, when you talk about weaknesses, I think that's just, that's just something you're going to have to take into account every, every game. Right. Um, but even aside from that, this, t- the, the thing that bothers me about this team, I don't want to say bothers me, but I think the, a lot of the issues that they're having adjusting to Nikki Collin is being a guard oriented team. Um, and I think that was apparent in this game because last year, if this was last year's Baylor team or not even last year's Baylor team, but just last year's strategy, you would have had this Baylor team stick with Melissa Smith and Queen Egbo for probably 80% of this game, right. And suffocate you with size. You may even have Caitlin Bickle playing three and just going big, right. This year, you know, Queen Egbo played 20 minutes. She really didn't play that much at all. Um, and they tried to more or less get Michigan. Uh, tr- they tried to, like, uh, outpace Michigan at times. And that cost them on the boards. I mean, outside of Melissa Smith, they had no rebounding in this game. Uh, I believe they were – Like the 50, second ch- chance points. Yeah. Uh, second chance points, 50 to 30, they, were, they lost 50 to 35 on the rebound – on the rebounding battle. Uh, 18 and 9 on the offensive rebounding battle. They – Again, outside of, and I get the strategy, right? You have Melissa Smith and you spread it out, right? Have her, but Michigan, somebody who has some length and has some size and to where you're not fully, you're not fully um, adapted to that WNBA pro style that Nikki Collin wants to get them to where it's more spacing. So Michigan can kind of take advantage of that. And I think you're going to see this team have these kind of games uh where you know it's it's melissa smith basically getting doubled in the paint trying to kick out and a bunch of shooters around her i don't know i think it i i just found it really weird that they didn't just say all right let's just put let's just stick queen egg ball out there and go big because that's where baylor's always kind of been you know yeah. dominant and at least at least for this season while you have this set of this set of players you know, if Nikki Collin changes it up down the line, obviously a couple of years down the line, that's one thing. But I feel like with the players you have right now, that's kind of where I would have leaned. This is a fascinating case study to me, yeah. just of the because we saw Baylor last year, mm-hmm. and now we see Baylor this year, and the stark difference of last year to this year is yeah. incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You look. So I mentioned the second chance points. Michigan ends with twenty nine second chance points. Baylor ends with three. That's nuts. Three. And this is Baylor, Melissa yeah. Smith, and Queen Egbo. So I want to get back to what your point was, the style of offense that they're playing. It's pretty apparent at this point. We've seen them play a few games now at this point. It's a guard-oriented team, but it's such a pro style of offense mm-hmm. to where Caitlin Bickle played 28 minutes and Queen Egbo played 20. Yeah. And – the result was basically a four out one in type thing. And even at times five out where Nelissa Smith was catching ball on the three point line a lot of the time. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying, and I'm not saying that they should have posted up Nelissa Smith every time. Cause she's just so damn good. She yeah. can catch the ball anywhere and score, but it was just so weird to have a five out type offense with this Baylor team. And I understand the guards are good, but there was just no real consistent presence on the inside and i'm saying that about a team again with egbo and smith mm-hmm. and that should not be the case in any game and i remember i looked at the as soon as the game started i watched you know i watched a few minutes and i take notes first note i wrote down was what's up with queen egbo like why are she just the stats have dipped off a bit from last year and mm-hmm. it's just literally just the style of play they don't feature her anymore yeah. and i'm not that again I'm not saying they should treat her like Shaq and give her the ball every time, but there there was something about last year's team where they didn't have that's another thing. Last year's team did not have the shooting that this team had. No, last not year's at all. team, like they couldn't shoot for anything. So right. this year's team should have more spacing. If in, in theory, your post-ups should be even more effective this year. That's just not what Nikki Collin does. She has come in and I feel like just put in a complete WNBA style. Mm-hmm. Guard pushing the pace, guards coming downhill, ball screens. Um, you know, get your get your best players into space more so rather than creating the space for your best players, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Like in college, I feel like, and I'm watching it with, with, I'm covering Kim Mulkey over here and I'm watching her put pieces together and put the puzzle exactly right and get this LSU team that was nine and 13 last year to 10 and one mm-hmm. right now. It's just different in college than it is the pros. And I continue to say, and I am, I mean, you, you know me, I'm in NBA and college basketball. I'm like, Oh, shoot the three space it out, you know, run everything. Mm-hmm. This is call it women's college basketball is different. You need to have a dominant post. You need to have a dominant interior presence because it is not easy to just win games with good guards. It's yeah. very difficult. And I think Kim Mulkey understands that. And I, I, I'm not saying Nikki Collin doesn't know what she's doing, but it's clear what she's trying to do is she's trying to, she's trying to make this an NBA team or a WNBA team instead of a college basketball team. And she has the talent in theory to do so, but I don't know if it's going to win enough games this that, that way. Yeah. I just said a lot. I said like way too much just to like get that point across, but that's just like everything running through my mind. And I just can't believe that Baylor's in this situation because I could argue they have way more offensive talent this year than they did last year. Oh, sure. I mean, you, you, you mentioned Queen Eggbo and I think that's a, she's kind of a summary of it, right? She's down. Her minutes are down from last year. Her points are down from last year. Her um, uh, her rebounds are down from last year. Um, And I get, you know, she's, she's, she's not a player. You can, you know, play 40 minutes, right? She's somebody who's one's going to foul, but two probably probably isn't conditioned to play 40 minutes, right? She's, she's a a bigger player. Um, So of course you want, and of course there's only other one other big on the team. So you want her and Caitlin Bickle to probably share some stuff off the bench, but the fact that her minutes are down are really is really striking to me because she she is somebody who you would have expected to. I believe she's only playing a few more minutes than she did two years ago when Lauren Cox was out, and she's somebody who you would expect to kind of feast with Melissa Smith getting so much attention. Um, the thing for me, and again, you, you kind of play her because you kind of have to, but like, I just don't think Caitlin Bickle should be playing a lot. Right, this many minutes. Right? I feel like she's it's more of a 15 to 20 minute player, but she's getting 20 to 25 minutes. And again, she's it's one thing that she's the only big off the bench. That's a problem, of course, with the roster. But I also don't know what exactly her role is right now. Right. She's not she's she's kind of a spacing big, but she only yeah, takes she's like, a four spacing big. She but she only takes like two, two threes again. Like she didn't shoot that much, right? And so, she can like, defend a little bit too. But she can defend. No, she yeah, yes, she can defend very, much, uh, very well. And she's a solid rebounder too. Like she's, I think she's averaging what is it, about five rebounds a game uh, with for her minutes, which is really solid. Um, but she's only taking one and a half, like one and a half threes a game. She's not shooting that at a very good clip. Um, the guard play you mentioned. Here's the other problem. The guard play. They're out of their top three three point shooters, Jamie Asbury, Jordan Lewis, Sarah Andrews. Only one of those players is shooting above 35% from three. Jamie Asbury is shooting six and a half threes at 33%. Jordan Lewis, four and a half threes at 29%. Sarah Andrews is the only one that's shooting uh, uh, 42, 43%. She's a very good shooter, but you're spacing the floor and then not hitting anything. And so it goes back to like, do you have the pieces right now to play this way? Um, granted, this could be a team that clicks when the Big 12 starts and, you know, definitely plays a lot better once they've gotten a lot more games under their belt. Um, the fact they lost to Michigan, it's not a bad loss, right? But it's just very striking in how they lost. I think you make, you make a good point. It could click. It could because they have the talent to play. I think they do have the talent in theory to play this style. I understand why Nikki Collin is, is playing like this. I'm not saying that she – it's just, oh, the pieces don't work. She shouldn't do this. She needs to just go post or whatever. Mm-hmm. I understand why she's doing this. This is just really hard to execute in college, women's college basketball, in my opinion. 100%. Like, to, to have a five out or a four out one in consistently and have Melissa Smith just, I mean, A, Melissa Smith taking less shots than Sarah Andrews should just never happen. Melissa Problem. Smith is. She's amazing. I, I just, yeah. I was watching the game. I'm just like gasping at them. I'm like, oh my. And when I tweeted out the, the, fa- the fa- post fadeaway, like the oh, that was yellow, like, little tournament, I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> she just controls the game. She'll get the rebound, go coast to coast. I'm like, right. give her the ball and just get out of the way. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's what, in theory, Nikki Collins is trying to do, but she's 
giving the guards a little bit too much freedom. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive. You want to give your guards freedom, but I want Nalissa Smith to have the freedom. That's what I want. And so, Mm -hmm. and so if that means you have to give her isolations, clear out and give her those mid, mid, uh, mid-range post-ups or mid-range face-ups give her give it to her on the block give it to her on the three-point line give it to her anywhere there is nobody in the country that can stop her yeah. all right and so while i like sarah andrews and jordan lewis and jordan lewis and jamie asbury those three took 37 shots and Alyssa smith took 15 i'm not saying she has to take more than all three of them combined but it has to be a little closer than that it should be somewhere like 20 to 25 so um yeah, I, I think my main sum, sum, summary of this is give the ball to Melissa Smith more, simplify it, and just, well, A, they have to make threes, but give it to yeah. Melissa Smith more and then just play off of that and also play Quinnyakbo more. Just simplify things a bit because it feels like they're, they've, they've changed a little bit too quickly, but mm-hmm. they could figure it out, like you said, and they'll be fine because they just oh. – yeah I, th- I think they could figure it out but also i mean I-, I think there's two things to it they could figure it out they could also wear down right we mentioned this is a yeah. team that's seven deep this this is a team that could just be really tired come march so i don't know i i this is another wait and see case to where you know i'm not hitting the panic button or anything that's still a very talented team but um just a lot of uh fascinating uh tangents about them and i think the thing if if for those who don't watch the game it's not just that the guards are taking a lot of shots it's that's a lot of times they're taking quick shots mm-hmm. where that aren't good shots right. at all like i one of my notes is taking too too many quick threes and they said on the broadcast a lot and i don't like repeating what they say on the broadcast because i feel like it's very surface but that mm-hmm. it's true they did they just came down and chucked yeah and i'm like y'all are good mm-hmm. but at least letting Alyssa smith get Alyssa didn't score for eight minutes in the game right eight minutes yeah Alyssa smith she should be scoring every, she should be scoring eight points every quarter, damn near. Mm-hmm. And so I was just frustrated. I was looking at some advanced stats. They are they were fourth in defense last year, 28th in defense this year, which isn't a surprise considering the defensive talent that they lost, but they're also shooting four percent worse from the field this year than they were last year. So it's interesting. It's interesting to see. Um they have to rebound better. That's another thing. And what yeah. it's hard to do when you're in a five-out system and they're taking quick shots. So you're not going to get many offensive rebounds that way. But that was a fascinating game for me, and I'm going to continue to watch Baylor and see how they do, especially with Texas creeping up in the Big 12. Yep. All right. Uh, a couple other women's games. Uh, well, actually, a team I think we're going to focus on is Texas State uh, has now lost four games in a row. And – yeah, let me read them off to you. Uh, they lost to Lamar uh, on December 10th, lost to UTEP by 12 on December 13th, lost to Dartmouth by 23 on December 16th at home, and then they lost to Loyola Marymount by 9 on Saturday. I was not able to watch these games. I don't think I watched the UTEP game, did I? I don't think so. Um, the last game I watched from Texas Tech uh, was against Texas Tech, so I've watched two of their games this year against Tech and Baylor. Um, so I have a really good idea, a handle on what this Texas state team is, and I can see why they're losing, but what are you thinking about this team with a four game losing streak? I think this is a team that's struggling on defense. I don't think they can really stop anybody. Um, and especially to the clip that they were last year, they were pretty bad. They weren't a great defense last year, but they were definitely more balanced. Um, this year, really outside of that Baylor game. Uh, they're really, they're really struggling to, uh, on the, on the defensive end. I think offensively, they're about the same. I mean, Kennedy Taylor's still one of the best, you know, playmakers in the state. Um, but yeah, for some reason, the defense has just kind of hit a wall to where like, they'll go on these runs where opponents will just kind of light them up. Right. And, um, whether it's from the three or the inside, I really think they're struggling to get some, to get to get consistent stops. I want to say they're uh, one of the, let me see if I can find this right. I against against Lamar, they, they gave up basically almost 40% from three against UTEP. They gave up 40% from three. They're, I don't know. They, 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 and then they don't, I don't think they're good enough offensively to be able to overcome that with scoring on their own. Right. Yeah. No, you mentioned, I was looking through the stats. Um, they're allowing way too many three pointers 
um, as far as just efficiency goes. Yeah. Uh, even against Dartmouth, they held them 33%, but they go 10 of 30. Mm. Um, and Dartmouth ends the game somehow beats them by 23, despite really even shooting the ball that well. Mm. And I think it just, I mean, Loyola Marymount to come out and get to the free throw line 27 times, shoot 52% from the field. I'm not a hundred percent sure what to make of this team because going early in the season, I, I, I we didn't say that they were going to be great, but we thought mm-hmm. that they'd be one of the competitors in, in the Sun Belt. And mm-hmm. if they can't defend, I'm gravely worried because we know that they have at least a solid offense between Denisha Hood, Kennedy Taylor, you know, Lauren Thompson, Jada Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, they have talented players, but defense is a different animal. And if they're not defending at a high level, um, that is very, very concerning. So, yeah, I'm going to read off some of the numbers here. They, they are 276th in two point percentage allowed, almost 50%, 303 point percentage allowed, and 304th in effective field goal percentage. Um, and when you consider how UTA is playing, oh, yeah, fantastically, you know, UTA 60th in assists per game, um, 46th in assisted shot per game. They're playing, they, they look like the front runner right now. And what we thought maybe was a two horse race in that Sunbelt West. I mean, it's looking kind of one-sided right now with you in favor of UTA. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else in Texas state. Um, last to keep <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, last women's results. Uh, I want to touch on, uh, rice beat Sam Houston state on the road there. Um, rice also be Anum Corpus Christi. Um, so couple decent results from rice maybe they can pick it up going into conference play which starts january 1st against north texas um so that'll be a game we'll have our eye on as well on to the men i watched there there are a few games here let's let's start with texas tech and gonzaga okay i feel like that's the most interesting one and it's probably the one i have the biggest takeaways from Gonzaga ends up beating Texas Tech 69 to 55. I believe this was played in Phoenix um, mm-hmm. on the Suns court at, when I watched it. Um, basically, Drew Timmy ends up with seven points, Chet Holmgren with five points, but it was the guards of Gonzaga that really kind of torched Texas Tech. And then for me, this will be my main takeaway from the game. I just don't think Texas Tech's offense can keep pace with some of the better teams in the country. Um, which is kind of evident by them putting up 55 points, but is also, I mean, evident just if you watch the game, I just felt never felt like Texas tech really had that great of a chance watching the game. Cause it just felt like everything was tough for them. Yeah. I think that there were some stretches where they looked comfortable kind of exchanging shots with Gonzaga, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't do it. They couldn't do it consistently enough. Like I think, Towards the end of the first half, I want to say they held Gonzaga like three points for like a five-minute stretch or something, and they were able to battle back. Mm-hmm. And it looked really good, and it was like, okay, it kind of reminded you of like the defense of last year and things like that. One of the things that I that stood out to me was, was it, was it you or was it me or did this team, they, they, they were basically 50-50 on the rebounding battle, but I felt like Gonzaga got a lot of the 50-50 balls. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I, that, when I looked after the game, and there were, you know, Gonzaga only had a three-point edge on the on the boards, and I, it, it was really striking to me because I felt like they got a lot more of the 50-50 chances, and I was like, ah, that's, I don't know. It seemed like when you hold Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren 12 points total, and you still lose by 14, I think that's really striking. Um, last year, I felt like notoriously to me, Tech, this would have been a game where Tech, if they lost big, both teams were shooting terribly and Gonzaga just got something going. Right. Yeah. Um, this would be a game that would be like 50 to 60, right. Yeah. Instead of, you know, almost putting up, almost getting beat by 20. Um, and I just felt like their defensive intensity wasn't able to hold enough. And for a team that didn't have two of its best players playing at their best game, I thought that, I don't know, that's a little concerning to me. Um but yeah, I don't know. There was, there was a lot of interesting, I, I just don't think they took advantage of Drew Timmy when he was in foul trouble uh, towards the end of the first half. Um, and I thought they got into, they kind of, 
I don't know. In the first half, they got a little bit too, they felt themselves a little too much because in the second half, they tried to still continue to trade shots and they just lost that battle completely in the second half. This is, this is really um, a tough situation because Bryson Williams plays 15 minutes, goes two of 10 from the field mm-hmm. for five points. And I thought Kevin O'Banner played all right. I thought Adonis Arms played pretty well. Um, Bryson Williams should come off the bench. Been saying that. I th- I think at this point, well, we talked about it last podcast, right? We, yeah. uh, I think Daniel Bacho should probably start. But even Daniel Bacho, I don't think he's a foolproof answer here. I think oh, no, for sure. he's, he's just kind of a, a plug-in guy that you hope can steal some minutes and stop a guy like Drew Timmy at times. Um, I mean, you look at the numbers, they had one block and three st- steals. Texas Tech, like this, I don't care who Texas Tech is playing. You, They usually come up with more than one block and three steals in years past. Yeah. Um, and so when you're not getting those turnovers and you're not forcing, making those plays, you have to score the ball at an efficient clip. And they shoot 37% from three or from the field and 31% from three. While Gonzaga shoots forty two percent from three, and I don't Gonzaga's guards are fine, but they're not Texas's guards. I mean, we've talked about the problems Texas has had, but they're not Kansas's guards. Like they're not Purdue's guards. Like there, there's a lot of guard play in the country that you would take over Gonzaga's, and they still couldn't do it. And so now, I come on here. I after like six games, I was like, man, Texas Tech's offense. They're playing fast. They're doing all this against bad teams, knowing that it was against bad teams. I thought that they would just try. I mean, there's but a then, way to get Tennessee in there. Yeah, the Tennessee game was ugly, too. That's true. Yeah. I mean, the, so after the, I watched the Tennessee game, watched some of this game, and now I'm like, okay, against good teams, they're just going to go back in their show. Hmm. They're just going to hide. They're going to do what they've done the last five years, except with a different coach and with perhaps less defensive talent, which we've talked about before. And what are you left with? You're left with a team that can't punch above its weight because they don't have the scoring punch. And now they don't even have the defense to really make great teams uncomfortable that much. Like they're still, again, it's a good team, probably top 25 worthy, but there's none of that fear that I feel like Gonzaga has. Like there's none of that fear that I think a top 10 team would have playing Texas tech at this point, because like what I said to like two or three podcasts ago, the defense, they don't have great defensive personnel. They have a good system, not great personnel. Offense, they have great personnel, not a great system. So now it's just like, where are we at right now? I don't even know what they rank in Ken Palm. It's probably what, like 20 and 20 or something like that. Yeah, they actually rank, if I can find it. Probably lower than that. I just they rank 17th. That. Texas Tech, I'm looking at right now. They're 21st in Ken Palm. Hey, what, what, what am I looking at? Oh, I'm looking at last year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Twenty first, forty third in offense, tenth in defense. Yes. Because so. I was looking at. So what I was comparing, why well, I was I was looking at last year because I was trying to figure out because you know I, I, I'm going to keep beating the Bryson Williams. Bryson Williams needs to be the six man drum all year. Yes. Because they last year their bench scoring is just not very good right now. Right. This has nothing to do with Bryson Williams' skill. Right. Obviously, he's one of their five best players. Yes, one hundred percent. But they have no bench scoring. Last year, they played Terrence Shannon off the bench some, right? They had a scoring option off the bench. I don't outside of outside of Adonis Arms in like a couple games, they really haven't had that, right? Kyler Edwards came off the bench last year sometimes. Yeah. They don't have that option really. That's why I think Bryson Lee, of course, he should be a top five, top four in terms of minutes, but those minutes probably to me should just be off the bench because you don't have anybody really yeah to, well, to outside of that top five to score well I was, I was gonna say you bring him off the bench and i think his minutes just are contingent on his ability to score if he goes yeah. one of five you don't have to play him you right. can put right. in marcus santos silva you can put in daniel bacho because those guys while they're not going to co- contribute on offense they'll be much better on defense than bryce U- ugly the game uh, ugly the, like we talked about bacho was at the tennessee game like it was like just ugly the game up and Bacho can do that right he can go he what did he score and let me see I have it right here he scored four uh, four points but he had nine boards and two blocks right and he played 26 minutes like that's that's it right there right that's if you need to throw him out there and do that um so I don't know I'm gonna keep beating that drum until it really happens because I really think this team I think what Bryson Williams does for this team 
obviously is beneficial having a scorer um, next to a banner, but you also have the ability and the depth to be able to play a different style if you need to. So um, I don't know. Like you said, this is still a, this is still a very good team, and this still has a team with a lot of talent and I think depth. So I don't think they should be forcing that five to be their basically all their scoring. I think they should be able to adjust on the fly to kind of whatever the the situation presents to them. One thing I've started doing is going to Ken Palm and looking at the conference um, rankings. So if you like go to Ken Palm and you press on the little conference next to their names, it takes you to the conference and like has all their right next to each other sorted, mm. which is really nice. Um, and I do think Texas Tech is better than everybody outside of the top three, as far mm. as Oklahoma, West Virginia. I, I mean, Iowa State is 11, it's undefeated. So sure, whatever. But, um, you know, I think they, they are probably better than all those teams. But when you get to that Baylor, Kansas, Texas group, I just right. don't see a way in which Texas Tech is gonna capable of beating them. Like, right? Maybe Texas, you can ugly it up and they play slow, and so maybe you play a really, really slow game and it's like fifty-three to fifty-two. But <laughs> Baylor and Kansas, I just, I don't, I don't see it at the moment. So um, it'll be interesting to see if Texas Tech can figure things out. Um, I don't. Let me see their schedule. Who they got coming up? The Eastern Washington, Alabama State. So nobody's, and then they yeah, play Oklahoma very, State to start the easy for them. So Oklahoma State to start on January 1st. So then it gets real for them real, mm-hmm. real quick. So um, I watched a little, I watched the second half of Baylor and Oregon. Baylor beat Oregon 78 to 70. It was a pretty ugly first half from what I understand. And again, I watched the second half, which, which is when Baylor started to get rolling. And so it just looked like a regular Baylor game to me. Um, <laughs> I didn't see the bad Baylor. I saw the good Baylor. I will say the perimeter defense is still a concern to me because they're playing the same way they did last year, except last year they had David Mitchell, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague. Mm-hmm. This year, I like James Akinjo on defense. I I kind of like LJ Cryer, but and whoever and Flagler, they're just not the same. So the mm-hmm. perimeter defense is still kind of a concern. And then obviously you throw Matthew Mayer in there as a bigger role as opposed to Mark Vidal, and then the defense. But it doesn't matter. They're still a great defense. I mean, it doesn't matter right now. Right. Worry about that in February, probably if they drop a couple games, they're not supposed to, then I can come back at this clip and be like, see, I told you all in January, they're, they're susceptible. They're not impenetrable like they were last year. Right. I think Oregon, that first half was kind of Oregon really kind of feeling itself. Uh, I think they shot shot uh, 50% or 50% from three in the first half, um, which is wild because Baylor shot over 60% from three. How many times did Baylor hit for the game? uh 12 or 12 23 i think they hit like 11 in the first like 25 minutes of the game or something Something like like that it was something wild like which again lends itself to your point where it's like okay they happen that happens and they're down four right at the half like it's kind of like that that happens last year and they're up 15 you know um but again this Oregon team the reason why i think this this is that that point's interesting again they took advantage in the second half and they really you know, I don't even want to say they locked up in the second half. It was more just them playing sounder basketball as a whole and Oregon not being able to stop them on the other end. But I say, I'll say the, the, th- the reason why that's interesting is because when Oregon's not a great team this year, right? Dana Oldman's obviously one of the better team, one of the better coaches in the country, but this is kind of an above average Oregon team, not really a good or a great one. Yeah. Um, and they were able to kind of do this, but obviously not for an entire game it's kind of interesting. It would be kind of interesting to see, okay, what happens when you play somebody who maybe can hold up some kind of intensity for a full game? Um, Which again, is that a Kansas? Is that a Texas? We have issues with obviously Texas that we can talk about on another show we've talked about in the past, but you know, we'll kind of see. Um, I I don't know. I I wasn't that worried, especially because how they cleaned up in the second half, but it's just kind of a little, a little note of how the first half kind of got away from them. Um, and if teams that are maybe a little bit more consistent can maybe keep that up. Yeah. Before we move on, uh, I do want to say Kendall Brown played perhaps, and I haven't watched every single Baylor game this year, but I think mm-hmm. you'd be hard pressed to find a much better half of basketball than Kendall Brown played in the second half. He's he, insane, man. <laughs> he looked like a five-star at that point. And I mean, like legit, he looked like he got angry at a, yeah. at a certain point and just started <laughs> dunking everything. And you're like, oh, yeah, he's 6'8 and can dunk on everybody and also plays defense and also can shoot and he can do literally everything. So once he gets comfortable, then a lot of our concerns about Baylor 
are going to be out the window because Jeremy Sokin is the same kind of way, except a little bit like a light version of it, but he's still mm-hmm. just really, really good. And it's like, oh, if those two figured out the problems of this team go out the window pretty much because there's not many teams that can beat them with those two clicking. Right. There was a, I remember because I don't know if you remember uh, kind of the mid early aughts uh, Scott Drew teams where they would no, get I was, to get- I was young and like you. <laughs> All right, man. Oh, anyway, I'm getting shots over here. Um, so Scott Drew used to always get these guys, these kind of guys, Perry Jones, Quincy Miller, um, the, the raw, but like clearly talented four or five star guys. Um, but they would never quite pan out, but it was clear that it was like, okay, there is something there to work with. This is to me, Kendall Brown's kind of an amalgamation of like all those guys and it's clicking. That's something that's kind of scary because he's always had guys who could bounce. He's always had guys who could theoretically play defense with their length. But again, yeah, it's just somebody who's put it all together I mean, there were some steals at the top of the key that he was able to get that just looked kind of unfair. Him in transition is kind of unfair. And then the bounce is just, that's just dumb. Like having that kind of bounce at that kind of size, that's unfair. He's going to put so many dudes on posters by the end of the year that, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see what he can do. Just again, this we're just in December and we're already talking about how fun this guy is to watch. Yep. Um, I try not talking about North Texas that much because I feel like I can't gauge how much I talk about North Texas because I watch them all the time and I have a separate podcast talking right. about North Texas. So I try not talking about them on here, but they did beat Wichita State on yeah. the road. Uh, and it was an awesome, awesome win for North Texas. It looked like peak North Texas basketball. Wichita mm. State did not score for over 11 minutes in the second half. And North Texas goes on a run to from down 10 to up nine. I think it was a 21 to two or 20. It was something like a, it was a 19 0 run. And then mm-hmm. they scored at a certain point. I don't remember, but regardless, they end up beating Wichita state 62 to 52 and their defense was just excellent. Like this, it might be a better defense than they had last year. Even like that it's that level of good. So, mm-hmm. um, Huge win for, for North Texas. I'm just excited for conference play, just like with every single team. Uh, LSU, I'm excited. SEC play. Big 12, just to see Texas and Baylor in there. Conference play is just going to be so much fun for all these teams because I still don't think North Texas is better than UAB. and mm-hmm. But like La Tech, Western Kentucky, all those teams are just going to be fighting it out. So that was a big win I needed to see from North Texas to, for, to me to have the confidence to say, Okay, yeah, they're in the mix for the best team in Conference USA. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, other tidbits before we wrap this up. Uh, UTRGV beats oh, man. the breaks <laughs> off of UTSA. Um, 68 to 50. I don't have the box score in front of me. I don't need the box score in front of me. You, you can you can touch on it if you want. I sold UTSA after they lost. Uh, well, it was uh, Corpus Christi, right? Or was it Commerce? It, let me see. They lost to it was Corpus Christi. Corpus they Christi. lost to they, both. Sorry, they lost to both. Both. <laughs> I both. There you go. I sold them after the first one. I think it was Commerce they lost to first. Yeah. And so I was gone a long time ago. Uh, RGV though, let's let's talk about RGV because now they have a couple of solid results to this yep. point. I'm, I don't know if beating UTSA is a solid result, especially because the WAC has a lot of teams better than UTSA. But regardless, mm-hmm. maybe they're continuing to creep up, gain confidence. We talked about them before. Maybe they can mm-hmm. crack that top six, top seven type thing, type range uh, this year. Yeah, they, they beat. Uh, we talked about how they hung close with Illinois. Uh, they hung close with a solid Texas Southern. We you know we're really we're obviously oh, yeah. really high on Texas Southern, um, and they beat UTSA. I think. Let me see if I can find it. They plus 14 on the rebounding battle. Jesus. Um, actually, sorry, plus 14 in the defensive rebounding battle for UTRGV. Uh, they, they won with 19 turnovers. That is nuts. Like, again, and you start to look at UTSA's schedule and their, their resume, and it's like, all right, St. Mary's, you know, uh, two solid wins, I guess, over Sam Houston and Lamar, but, like, every other good team they faced, they basically lost to. Um and we talked about how tough Cuse is going to be. My favorite part, my favorite yeah. part about Kim Palm is that it doesn't lie to us about. Oh no, it's just like yeah, it right takes, yeah. again. It takes into account the schedule and who you play. 
Uh, UTSA is by far, no, I shouldn't say by far. Southern Miss is really bad too. UTSA is the lowest ranked team in Ken Palm. Yeah. On, I mean, by a pretty good margin. They're 294th. Yeah. Like a Conference USA team should never be 300 or below out of 358 teams. You are in Conference USA. You are UTSA. Like, I'm not saying you're a, a powerhouse or anything. Mm-hmm. There is no reason you should be almost 300th in the country at 358 when we know what kind of basketball is being played across the country at like small, small division one schools that probably have a quarter of the budget UTSA yeah. has. I will like, say it, it, another indictment is uh, Ken Palm only has them projected to win one more game against Southern Miss uh, for the rest of the year. And that's not an exaggeration. I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, they're only they only have the again. We'll see what happens with you know those kind of when you get down to the bottom of Cusa. Obviously, things can happen. Certain games can go certain ways. But the fact that Ken Palm looks at this team is like, yeah, I don't, I only feel confident about them in one game is kind of wild to me. Yeah, they haven't predicted at four. They have them overall because they like you said they do. They'll predict that maybe they'll pull out one of these forty percent games or thirty four percent games. Uh, they have them at four and fourteen in conference play. And I don't even know if they'll reach that. But like you said, there are some bad teams. FIU is 242. Uh, Southern Miss is 286, so, um, which they play them twice. So maybe they can pull out a couple wins. It doesn't matter. If you if they go 3-15, and 4-14, whatever it is. I'll tell you just, what. The last year they were 15-11. That looks like a far cry. They, they look like they are not getting to 500. It's just, it's done. I've, have I sold Sam Houston yet? I don't think I sold them. I should have sold them after the North Texas game because they just looked really Sam bad. Houston? Uh, yeah. Sam Houston. I don't think you have sold them. I don't think I saw, oh, do you have like a document up or something where you're looking at? Like, <laughs> oh, this is what yeah, I can vividly remember UTSA. I can remember uh, Rice. Rice and there, I feel like there's one. Was it AM or TCU or AM? Was it AM? Was it AM? I think it was AM. I, I think it was AM. So I can see you, you, you sell. I remember you sold those three, but I don't, I don't think you've touched on Sam Houston. Houston. Sam Houston. The thing about Sam Houston is they lose close, and that's what makes it tough. So, like, if you look at their schedule, Sam Houston, they lost by uh, nine to SMU, 16 yeah. to Texas, five to UTSA, 10 to North Texas. So they haven't been blown out to the point where I get angry. And like, also, like, like they're. they're, they're the Southland, I mean, or sorry, uh, the Western, the WAC, I think they're still middle of the pack in the WAC. I don't Kim think has them going eight and 10 in the WAC. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's, I don't know. That's not, yeah, I won't sell thing. if they go eight and 10. Eight and 10 is not, I won't sell yeah. that. Hold, hold, um, hold on, hold on to that Sam Houston stock. Hey, hey, they, they are 358th in free throw percentage though, <laughs> at 48% from the free throw line ish. Oh, that's now, awful. <laughs> if you took 100 free throws, do you think you can make 48 free throws? uh honestly no because i have an issue with repetition <laughs> as somebody who has who who, who uh, used to shoot free throws for warm-up at the rec i'd have an issue with repetition to why i get in my own head so no i could not <laughs> oh you start panicking like oh my well, god I, like, I, I just I shot a free throw i can't shoot another one <laughs> i get in the rhythm and i'm like oh man this is going great and then i just break like seven like, in a row like, like oh yeah. my elbow doesn't feel right this time <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's it. I swear to God. It's like, oh, something's off. And I like the ball will come off like my pinky or something and just miss. Like it's, it's, it's weird. I don't know. It's, it's something dumb. Oh, well, it's, why I'll tell I never, you... it's why I never disrespect free throw shooters. Cause you know, <laughs> I'm like, I get it. All right. Well, this is good. You can join Sam Houston state in the awful free throw shooting club. It's like that. It's like that meme of the guy sitting down on the couch watching TV. Like, oh man, he's just like me. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. <laughs> the thing is, I watched which I watched Sam Houston State play North Texas, and Sam Houston State shot three of fifteen from the free throw line, oh. and the game would have been actually interesting if they had made their free throws. Yeah, and they just can't make free throws. <laughs> they're just awful. So, okay, well, yeah, there's Sam Houston State. They're, they're on the, they're on the cusp right now. On, on the, the cusp. Uh, lastly, uh, Stephen F. Austin hangs with Kansas, eighty to seventy-two. Uh, I've just been looking at SFA's results. They look a little up and down at times. Not sure exactly what to make it of, of them. They are a team I want to see in conference more than anything else because all this non-conference stuff, I know Stephen F. Austin, once they get in conference, is a kind of a different team. So they could just yeah. turn it on. Um, Houston beat Oklahoma State. I actually had this game on in the background while I was watching an LSU game. 
so I didn't watch it, but I had it on. Uh, and it looked like Houston was, was kind of in control, even though it was a close game. Uh, so good win from Houston there. Um, as we expected, Houston is a good team. So um, I, I think that they're benefiting a lot from, uh, I mentioned it on a previous episode, but Jamal Shedd, man, like that, they're a different team when he's starting a point guard. And I think uh, now that Tremont Mark's slowly coming back and all these guys are coming back into the fold, like Jamal Shedd being that playmaker right now, uh, let's Kyler Edwards and Marcus Sasser play off ball a lot more. And he's, the, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that their, their surge has come when he's kind of been the, the starting point guard. Yep. All right. Uh, if we want to look ahead a little bit, I got, mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about it off air, uh, two games to watch for tomorrow, which today is Tuesday when we're recording this. So tomorrow is Wednesday, uh, Texas state and Houston. Uh, these are both on the men's side, Texas state and Houston men's, Texas State um, hasn't played that difficult of a schedule. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no, I looked at it. Right. Yeah. So uh, while Houston is playing like repetitive uh, high major teams, so Texas State's going to have to bring it. They're going to have to play really, really sound, solid defense. Um, I, I liked what I saw from Texas State against LSU, which is obviously one of the better teams that they've played to this point. So I think they can hang in there. Houston is just such a frenetic defense that I'm wondering if it's going to wear on them to a degree. So, um, yeah. and the size differential, not even the size differential, but the rebounding differential is a concern for me with right. Texas state, not being a huge team mm-hmm. and, and Houston just being Houston grabbing every rebound. Right. Yeah. I think that if you one, if you want to trigger a Texas state fan, talk about the strength of schedule, because there's always a debate going on about how they don't play anybody. Um, so again, we'll see really about, you know, what this team really is. I don't expect them to win this game, but if we do think that they should be a favorite in the Sun Belt, then this shouldn't be a blowout necessarily. Um, the issue will come with that rebounding battle. I just don't think Texas State is a team rebounding team um, or offensive rebounding team or a rebounding team that can prevent offensive boards. Let's just say, yeah. put it that way. Um, that's not to say that I don't think the effort is there. I just don't think that's their forte in that, on that side of the ball. Um, three-point percentage defense is also an issue uh, for this Texas State team. And I think that this same, this Houston team is uh, definitely a lot better at shooting threes than they have been in the past. So, um, or at least one of the better teams that Kelvin Sams has had at shooting threes. Yeah. Uh, the, the fun battle to me is going to be when Texas State has the ball um, and that offense versus Sam Houston's uh, – I keep saying Sam Houston – Houston's defense – um, because I think that Texas State's offense is one of the better ones Houston's seen so far this year. Um, and they're we've mentioned their Texas State and North Texas kind of having the similar tempo. Um, but I think that Texas State being so methodical and so efficient on offense is going to test this Houston defense for kind of the whole, whole uh, duration of the shot clock in a way that they just haven't been tested this year so that's kind of the side I'm more interested in I think Houston has the advantage when the when they have the ball but you know we'll see Texas State is up to 129 in Kempom which is um solid well I mean that's what happens yep. when you keep winning which they have yep. um so we'll see how how that goes oh the Texas Southern Texas Southern plays TCU so I believe I don't know if that's an I think that's an away game of course because Texas Southern didn't play at home until uh, January 8th. Um, but Texas Southern now has a winning streak going. Two wins, one over Florida, of course, and then UTRGV. Um, I'm very fascinated by this game. I don't think TCU is a team that we can just expect to blow out t- uh, Texas Southern, um, as you would maybe think about with uh, kind of these SWAC schools versus Big 12 schools. I think this is a sneaky close game. Um, and one that because we know that Texas Southern is a lot more uh, is a lot better than probably the numbers and their record says, I don't think this is a game where I'm worried about TCU if they if this is close or even if they lose, just because I think this is a tournament team and I think this is a team that's uh, kind of battle tested. Um, but I think if you just want if you just want a good game to watch on Wednesday, I'm going to go with this one, especially because you know we're about to enter a stretch of the holidays where there's not going to be any basketball played. So. Um, if you're a TCU fan and it's close or they get upset, don't panic. I, I really think Texas Southern is just really good. Um, and if you're a Texas Southern fan, you pull this off, man, you're just getting more notches on the belt. Um, it says, into the, it says the one. game, it says the game's on the 29th. So next Wednesday. Oh, whoops. Okay, that is my fault. Clear. But it, it's so fine. We'll cover after it. After the holidays, after the holidays, uh, coming back from, 
before the new year. Um, if you want some good games to watch, that's one of them. That's one to keep an eye on because um, I think I want to say Southern start, Tech Southern starts SWAC play after that, and then I think TCU may. I think both teams start conference after that. Actually, um, so. yeah, Ken Palmer has it only a twelve point game, which mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. should could be closer than that. But I still, that's pretty good considering um, it's Texas Southern against a Big 12 school. Um, Actually, is this Texas Southern's first closest game? I'm trying to think. Is this the closest game they're going to play before they actually go home? Or is UTRGV closer? Is Tent... They play. They play. They played a close game. They played. No, no, um, no, no, no. Close, like, li- like oh, geographically close. <laughs> like oh. literally close. Uh, is Louisiana Tech closer? Oh, I think that, that they probably are. They probably yeah. are. But yes, other than that, it's Oregon, St. Mary, Washington, Air Force, NC State, BYU. Literally just across Florida. the country from where you are, from where they are. Everywhere. <laughs> just everywhere. Um, uh, it's also interesting to see how they've gone up in Kimpom throughout the, the season. Just they've gone from 240th now to 187. Um, they just continue to climb. They went, they literally, the Florida wind bump that went them, put them from 240 to 198. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, no. TCU is the closest. I'm looking at it right now. You actually looked up the ge- geographic location. I looked. Well, I looked up the time traveled. It's uh, UTRGV is about five hours away. So it's about La Tech and TC is about four and a half. So, all right. Well, uh, hope y'all enjoyed it. Thank you for listening <laughs> to Ishmael's uh, geographic <laughs> lesson. Of the- what? That just shows how wild their schedule's been. This- that TCU is the closest hey, they've been to home. <laughs> promise me you're going to bring that up at the dinner table at Christmas. Be like, hey. Did you know the closest game Texas Southern will play in the non-conference season is somebody actually, out there appreciated that little tidbit and it's actually uh, TCU. It's not Louisiana Tech. Like know that I love you, whoever's listening out there. Just killing time. Oh, <laughs> I got I got Spider-Man to go see in four hours, and you're over here spitting out geographic locations of Texas Southern. All right. Oh. I think that's all we have for y'all today. Uh yeah. this is a fun episode. Um We'll probably do uh well, I will definitely not do another one before Christmas or before right. the holiday end. So um after Christmas, we'll look at uh we talked about doing kind of a primer, trying to get everybody caught up to speed with where we're at. And then we'll probably do another pod before conference just talking about um teams that we've kind of changed our opinions of, or maybe you know, we look at in, or we're, we have our eye on going into conference, basically. So right. Yeah, basically the the primer episode, because we're done with high school football and college football is winding down, the primer episode will be basically, if you've paid attention to no college basketball, what's kind of going on right now? So exactly. um, those will be the episodes. If you wanted to get back in and you have not been paying attention, those are the episodes for you. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, we appreciate y'all for listening. Check us out on Spotify. Check us out on Apple. Leave us a five-star rating and review on there. Send it to a friend. Uh, leave us a like and follow everywhere. Uh, check us out on Twitter at DCT Basketball. Follow Ishmael on Twitter at Ishmael R. Johnson. Follow me on Twitter at Matthew Bruni underscore. Um, and yeah, have a happy holidays. Everybody stay safe, and we'll catch y'all after the break. <laughs>